Welcome to What? Words about technology and tools. I'm your host, Greg Dudek, and I'll be talking to you about scientific experiments, technological innovations, and hacks that you can try at home. Hello, so I'm going to talk about another hack. This time I'm going to talk about how to digitally record television broadcasts. Many people have a PVR or a DVR supplied to them from their cable company perhaps. So if you're the kind of person who's listening to this podcast, I'm sure you know what a personal video recorder, a PVR, DVR is. But let's just recap. It's a device that pulls in video from some external source, TV, cable, satellite, wherever, and records it to a hard disk unless you play it back. And so with PVRs, there are uh, several things that really distinguish the good ones from the crappy ones. The first of these, of course, is the quality of the video recording, but they're pretty, all, pretty much all okay. Essentially every PVR does a good job of recording a signal, almost always in more than one format, either a, a low quality format, a medium quality format, or a high quality format, although they typically have names like high, super high, and super fancy extra high. Um, it's part of the movie theater soft drink inflation mechanism where the smallest drink you can ever get is, is now called a extra, extra large. Quality of the recordings is thus a given. The thing that really distinguishes the good from the bad from the ugly is the quality of the graphical user interface. Some PVRs have really elegant user interfaces that are very easy to use, very efficient, and just are pleasant to work with. And others are clunky and, in a word, horrible and grotesque. Uh, TiVo, for example, I would say is probably along the end of the you know really good, pleasant, wonderful kind of end of the spectrum. Uh, they've been doing it for a long time. They've really gotten it right. They really know what they're doing. And some of the cable TV boxes are at the sort of clunky, grotesque, they need an airsick bag attached to the side of the machine end of the spectrum. So that's a really important thing. And sadly, it's very hard to evaluate really quickly on a sort of showroom floor. Uh, you typically really have to use these things for a while to, to get a good feel for what the, the nice ones are versus the not so nice ones. Perhaps the, the good thing about that is if you've got a, a fairly ugly one, but you've never seen and used a nice one, you don't really realize what you're missing. It's still a big improvement over playing all regular TV. Uh, the next most important thing from the point of view of the sort of home hacker, the person who might be listening to this podcast, is the extent to which you can get the recordings off the box. So typical cable boxes that have a PVR built in don't allow you to extract the data in any way at all. You can watch the data at some later date on your TV set, and that's about it. Uh, the Zoom model, of course, which is even more extreme, it's not really a PVR, but there you can receive recordings beamed to you, and they in fact delete themselves after a little while, so that's the sort of ridiculous extreme of how bad things can get. Uh, the TiVos, depending on their generation, can be uh, have more than one kind of feature set. Uh, the more recent TiVos have a pretty tight lock on their data. Stuff that goes into the TiVo box pretty much stays in the TiVo box, although there are some sort of developing trends uh, towards protocols and functionality that may let you stream it off to another TiVo. Older TiVos, that is generation one TiVos, were pretty much running a more or less vanilla Linux operating system. And so if you can get your hands on one of those, they're eminently hackable. The data can be extracted, it can be pulled off the off the set remotely, and actually they're pretty flexible units. 
Uh, of course, a homemade PVR, uh, you can do anything you like with. Uh, the data is recorded to disk in a completely open, unencrypted MPEG format, and then you can stream it, send it, transmit it, email it, do whatever you want with it, assuming you can cope with the relatively large fi file sizes that ensue. Um, the replay TV units, which I'll talk to you about in a little more detail in a minute, have the ability to transmit data from one replay TV to another box of some sort fully automatically as one of the built-in features of the unit, and they're also uh, known for storing their data in an unencrypted standard, more or less standard MPEG-2 format on the hard disk, so you can pull that data off the hardware as well if you want to do that. So there's a couple of variations of how you can control and build these kinds of things at home, and I'll talk about two different alternatives. Uh, Tivo is probably the most well-known name in PVRs or DVRs. They build a completely functional box that you sort of plug in and away it goes, and it shows a television schedule of what's on TV, and you can pick a show and you record it on your Tivo uh, or TiVo. I've never figured out how to pronounce that thing. Um, and so the thing about TiVo is that it, um, it has a really great user interface. It has a pretty decent set of hardware and, uh, and uh, thus automatically encodes incoming video to uh, an MPEG uh, format for later playback, which is fairly highly compressed. The big downside of a box like TiVo is that you have to pay a monthly subscription to make the thing operate. And most of the recent PVRs and DVRs that can be bought these days not only uh, require you to pay to get the subscription that gives you the monthly list of what's on television, but in fact if you don't pay your monthly fee, th the box shuts down completely and you can't even watch shows that you recorded sometime in the past while you were a subscriber, which I think is a really horrendous kind of functionality. So there's two sort of alternatives or solutions for the home hacker. And I think the most hardcore of these is to build your own PVR device from a standard computer. And that's actually quite a nice thing, quite easy to do. And there are very nice distributions that let this thing be done sort of without an awful lot of, of deep knowledge. The key things you need to make this all work are you need an appropriate set of hardware and you need an appropriate set of software. And that's not the thing I really want to talk a lot about today, but I'll mention the rough outline of how you do it. In order to make this whole thing work, you need a computer with enough computing horsepower to be able to encode MPEG video in real time. That is to receive a television broadcast and record it in a compressed form on the hard disk. And if you really want decent functionality, which I would very highly recommend, it has to be strong enough to in fact record an incoming stream of video onto the hard disk and maybe play back a different stream of audio at the same time, decompressing it from the hard disk onto the telev television set so that you can watch one recorded movie while uh, recording a different one. And that's especially useful if, for example, you want to be able to have a show which is streaming into the house, and then you want to pause that recording while you go off and do something else, get a snack, and come back and continue it. And at that point, you want the existing stream that was coming in to be still recording so that it's, it's recording the current content that's coming in at this moment, but the thing you're watching may be the stuff that actually came in five or ten minutes ago. So you're basically recording one set of data and watching a different set of data. To do all that, you probably need something on the order of uh, a Pentium 4 class computer, Pentium 4, 2 gigahertz, in order to do all this uh, with the CPU itself. If you buy a hardware card, 
um, that does MPEG decoding and encoding in hardware rather than making the CPU do it, then you can get away with a slower CPU, something on the order of, say, a Pentium 3 800 would probably do the trick. Um, so to reiterate, we need a computer. It has to have a pretty good hard disk. I would say on the order of 100 gigabytes is really suitable for this kind of device. Maybe lots more, maybe uh, two, three, four, or 500 gigabytes if you're serious about archiving a lot of TV footage, which is something that really naturally happens. Uh, you need a CPU, which is either a Pentium 4 2 gig at least, if you're going to do everything on the CPU itself, which allows you to buy a cheaper TV receiver card or a Pentium 3 800 if your TV receiver card has MPEG encoding and decoding built into it. And then, of course, you need some sort of card, some sort of TV receiver code for bringing in the television content into your computer. And there are several different variations of that. Uh, you can have cards that receive uh, terrestrial broadcast TV, that is normal TV stations over the air. You can get cards that bring in cable content. You can get cards that bring in satellite content, and you can get cards that pull in video, uh, a straight video feed, such as might come from another VCR or another camcorder, and those video-based cards then don't have to worry about where the content's actually coming from, uh, because some other box, some other set-top box will take care of decoding, say, a cable signal and turning it into the video. That last option is the most general in the sense that any kind of video feed will work with it, but they're actually probably not preferred for this kind of project, because they don't allow you to directly control the station which is being selected, unless you somehow connect now your set-top box with your computer so the computer talks to the set-top box and, and can change the stations. And that's doable. The software for running all this thing uh, there, um, is typically a Linux distribution specifically suited to recording video and the standard preferred distribution is MythTV, M-Y-T-H-TV. That's a Linux distro. You can find it on the web. You can download basically the entire uh, burnable CD or DVD that you then directly install onto your hard drive, takes over your computer all the way and runs the whole show. Uh, in terms of selecting that hardware card, the probably the best set of cards are made by a company called Hoppage, H-A-U-P-P-A-U-G-E, and they make cards that include MPEG encoding and decoding. Typically that's not seen as a necessity if your CPU is fast enough, but I actually like those cars a lot because it means then you're not so dependent on the CPU doing stuff, and it means that the CPU can do other complicated things. In fact, you could run programs in the background that transmit the video somewhere, and you're not w you don't have to worry about the CPU getting too busy and then messing up your video encoding by causing it to have glitches in it or dropouts and things like that. So that's the solution to building your own Linux box uh, using a canned distro, MythTV. Uh, it's not really that hard. Uh, it probably takes an afternoon to get it all up and going. And uh, you get a very nice PVR experience, probably quite competitive with what you would get uh, commercially. And you don't have to pay any monthly subscription fees. But the user interface is not quite as polished as what you'll see with, with uh, TiVo. Another approach is to get the hardware that came from Tebow's primary competitor, and that was a company called Replay TV. Replay TV was in fact on the scene arguably before TiVo, and they in fact owned some of the key patents for some of these technologies, or did own some of the key technologies. Unfortunately, 
the Replay TV boxes that were being sold commercially added some really neat features. And the features included the ability to automatically skip over commercials that were being broadcast. So the Replay, Replay TV box had enough software smarts to identify a commercial and then skip it out or edit it out of the broadcast TV as you were watching it. This was really, really cool, but it allowed them to get badly sued by a number of different companies, and they were essentially sued out of business. Uh, the detailed story is they had these lawsuits. The lawsuits didn't explicitly and completely draw them out of business, um, but many people believe that the cost and the brain drain and the cognitive load and all the hassles and uncertainty that came from these lawsuits are what forced Replay to go out of the PVR business. And in fact, they didn't technically get out of go out of business all in one step. They got bought and this and that, and it was a very complicated story. And in fact, some of their services are still available, but they don't make these set-top boxes as standalone boxes any longer. And that's where we get to the really interesting part of the story. You can now purchase a Replay TV box on eBay or in some other second-hand source and use it yourself. And these are really cool boxes. They're, in my opinion, as good as a TiVo, and some people believe better. Uh, they definitely have some very significant advantages over the current TiVo boxes, especially from the hacker's point of view. So the idea is to buy a Replay TV box. It has a standalone computer. It doesn't run Linux. It runs an operating system, which is a derivative of VXWorks. Um, and then you use that to record your content. And much like TiVo, you do have to pay for a monthly subscription to operate this box. The nice thing about this particular box is it has an Ethernet connector built in, and it has built-in functionality to stream video or content being recorded or that has been recorded to other Replay TV, TV boxes and to other computers, and even to share programming from one Replay TV box to another Replay TV box somewhere out on the internet. And since smart hackers have figured out the protocol used by Replay TV Box, you can also stream content to arbitrary computers out on the internet that are suitably set up for it. So this is a really nice solution uh, because it does this streaming. And that's, by the way, another thing that they got sued for. Uh, basically, this box was just too good and too powerful and too neat for the commercial market to bear its existence. Um, so once you've got one of these boxes, you need to subscribe to allow it to download a TV guide on a daily basis and then record those shows. It's got a very nice user interface. If you stop subscribing, the box will uh, stop downloading this TV guide and will, after a month or so, shut off. And so you won't be able to use it directly to record shows live. One of the good things about this thing, in contrast to, say, TVO, TiVo, is firstly, the hard disk itself is unencrypted. So if you want to pull the hard disk out, you can take all of that video content off and do whatever you want with it, whether you're subscribed or not. Uh, and so it's actually a really nice way of just creating a hard drive that, that's jam-packed with video content. But in addition, if you're not subscribed anymore, the Ethernet interface to the box still works. And so you can still upload and download content to the box or watch it remotely from a computer in your household, even if you're not subscribed. There are rumors that you can actually get around that subscription model completely and fully use the box even when you're not subscribed. Uh, that may be true, but I'm not going to talk about that kind of a hack. 
um, because the company is still selling the subscriptions and so first of all it might be illegal and second of all uh, it would probably be very damaging to their business model and, and actually they're a good company I'd like to see them continue to provide these this live TV guide service I should also mention that if you uh, subscribe in a lifetime way, that is you buy a lifetime subscription instead of a monthly subscription, then your box will be open forever, irrespective of what the company does. So it costs a little bit more upfront, uh, costs about the equivalent of a year and a half subscription, I believe, but then your box, first of all, uh, will be able to download content indefinitely as long as the company is providing it, which you know may arguably be forever, but secondly, uh, no matter what the company does, no matter whether you unplug the box from the internet or not, it'll always be opened up and you can always use it as a VCR-like recording device as well. So one of the really cool things about this is you can download a Java-based software that runs either on the PC or the Mac that interacts with your Replay TV box from a standard computer running either Mac or Windows, possibly Linux, although I've never tried that version. Uh, and this box, uh, there's several pieces of software. There's actually, a range of software that does this kind of thing. Uh, one of the nicest is called DV Archive. You can find it easily by Googling. DV Archive allows you to fully control the Replay PTV box, allows you to upload content, allows you to download content, allows you to stream content using it as a portal between different Replay TV boxes, allows you to stream content out onto the internet, allows you to pull content off the internet, from other Replay TV owners to show on your box, allows you to schedule recordings, allows you to remotely schedule recordings off the internet, so it includes a web server that you can put on any port on, on some computer. So from the internet, you can call home and say, gee, I'd really, I'd forgotten I wanted to watch Heroes on Monday night at nine. Uh, please schedule a recording of that show. And in fact, schedule it so that it records an extra five minutes after the end in case for some reason the show is delayed. It has a ton of really cool features. It marks collisions, it records, episodes of shows that are not reruns, so it'll record every episode of some show, so long as that episode isn't an episode that you already have. It has more features you can imagine, and it's all Java, and so you can actually get the source code if you really want to, and play around with it. It's very, very fully featured. Now one issue if you're building a PVR at home from scratch, is that you've got to pull in the video from somewhere. If you pull in the video over the air with a card that has a tuner built into it, you're all set to go. The Myth TV box can be completely self-contained. It can choose the channels. It can pick when to record the channels. You're all good to go. If you're pulling your video in from either a cable television feed or a satellite feed, things are a lot more complicated. In general, the mechanism that's used is that the computer has to talk to an independent satellite receiver box, IRD as it's called, or a cable box, has to tell the cable box or satellite box when to tune in what particular channel, and then it records the video that comes out of that thing. Uh, and the way you talk to those boxes depends on the particular hardware you've got. The sort of more standard mechanism is to realize that pretty much all of these boxes use an infrared remote control, and so there's these little really hacky units called IR blasters, which are essentially a light-emitting diode at the end of a wire that plugs into your computer, and your computer sends wires, uh, pulses up the wire that make the LED turn on and off, and you glue that to the front of your receiver so that it's as if you were operating the remote control unit, and thus your computer can operate your receiver, changing channels, messing around with it any way it likes, because it's basically operating the remote. One of the reasons that mechanism really stinks, although it's pretty commonly used, is that there's no way for the computer to hear back from the receiver box to verify that the channel change really happened. So if the one time in a hundred 
that the receiver box didn't change it in the, to the right channel because it got an error or the channel was slaggy or for some arbitrary reason, the, res the computer won't know it and it'll just record away and you'll get the wrong show and it'll be messed up. And it doesn't happen that often, but it's really annoying. And one of the main ways it can happen is if there's light in the room, for example, sunlight shining in, it may corrupt the infrared signal that goes from your little LED to your receiver box, and so the signal isn't transmitted reliably or effectively, and so the receiver tunes in the wrong channel. Now, some cable receivers, some satellite receivers, allow you to hook up with a serial line instead of an infrared remote control. That's generally way better. Uh, it's not so common. And then there's a problem of actually having enough smarts in your PVR box that you're building to understand the serial protocol and talk reliably back and forth to the receiver. Of course, the models and the protocols are changing all the time, but still, that works reasonably well. A completely different class of solution is to plug directly into the computer a box that can itself receive either cable signals straight from the cable wire or satellite signals direct from the wire coming down from a satellite dish. Those kinds of solutions are an order of magnitude more arcane, mostly because the signals coming in are typically encrypted. And so the cards have to do one of two things. Either they have to have a acceptable legal decryption mechanism, which involves somehow being in a place where you can buy such a card. I think that's pretty unlikely in North America. Or you have to have a card that does it essentially illegally, which violates all sorts of laws and causes all sorts of problems and leads into an entire different sort of field of discussion that we're not getting into here. So bottom line, you pretty much have to operate your receiver using an IR blaster in most cases, which is a bit of a pain. Now while we're talking about replay TV boxes, there's some really cool features that you can get access to if you're a slightly hacker-oriented person, especially if you download DV Archive. So as I mentioned, earlier, Replay TV boxes included two really neat features. One was the ability to fully automatically skip commercials. That is, without pressing any buttons at all, the replay is just playing the show, it detects a commercial, and bloop, it jumps over the commercial and it resumes on the other side of the commercial. That feature can be turned on and off, but it was in there. Eventually, Replay TV was forced, due to legal pressure, to remove that feature from their boxes and they did it even retroactively with boxes that were already out in the field by uploading a operating system upgrade that the boxes were forced to uh, consume and thus they upgraded their, their software and the commercial skip feature went away for many of the boxes anyhow, not every single one. Uh, another issue is that these boxes had the ability to stream recorded video, not only to other replays within your house, but to other people arbitrarily far away on the internet. And there's sharing sites that uh, allow people to find pals that have a particular show that they want to share it. One of them is called Poopli. So, both these features were removed from various revisions of the Replay TV, especially the commercial skipping feature. And the l most recent the final revisions of the Replay TV boxes, the Series 5000 boxes, uh, which ended up with the Series 5500 boxes, in particular, no longer support that feature. However, it is possible to go back to an earlier rev of the software and get that feature back into your box. And that's a really sweet hack, in my opinion. 
If you have an old enough box, of course, the feature might still be enabled and you don't have to worry about it at all. But for the most recent boxes, which are the most common and the ones you'll most easily find on, rebay, on eBay, the commercial skip feature isn't activated. So what you have to do to activate commercial skipping is you have to downgrade the software release which is inside the Replay TV unit. And that's a non-trivial undertaking. It's a class 8, 8 out of 10 difficulty hack, I would say. What you have to do is pull the drive from the replay and re-image it using a PC, but along the way there's some little complications you have to get into. So the bottom line is you have to get a Replay TV unit, you have to open up the screws on the bottom, pull off the chassis, inside you'll find a hard drive. You yank the hard drive, you hook it up to a PC, it's an uh, ISA formatted hardware drive, so you can stick it on any PC using the uh, slave connector on your IDE chain, assuming your PC has IDE disk drive support. And now these drives are not formatted like a normal PC drive. They're not VFAT, they're not ISO, they're not Mac OS, they're not EXT3 Linux, they're not like any other standard drive format. So what you've got to do is get a special piece of software specifically devoted to re-imaging these drives and you've also got to get the software image from the old version of the Replay TV software before they downgraded the software to have fewer features in its latest form. You have to re-image the drive with the older software, just a little bit older, so you still have all the cool functionality, but you still have commercial skipping. Stick it back in your drive, put it all back together again, and then you've got to watch out for one other thing. You'll be connecting to the internet. This Replay TV will be sucking down information on what shows and things like that from Replay TV Central, replaytv.com. And in the process of doing that, it checks for software updates and it'll pull in software updates. And of course, if it pulls in the most recent updated software, commercial skipping will once again be deactivated in this unit. So what you've got to do is you've got to essentially put a firewall, a shield, in between your Replay TV unit and the internet so that all the traffic to Replay TV Central goes back and forth except for the request to update the software. And that's more than just an ordinary firewall because all the communications take place along the standard port 80, so you don't want to just block port 80, you want to block this one particular message that's going to get injected down along port 80. And there are maybe two, three, four different ways. One way to do it is to write your own fancy Perl scripts that act as proxy servers, listen to the stream, hear the right message on the data stream, and squish it down. That's doable. Maybe I'll even talk about how to do it sometime because there's some neat things you can do with that. But that's a pretty insanely complicated way to go about it. The much easier solution is to run the DV archive software, tell your Replay TV unit to connect to DV archive rather than Replay TV as its name server. When it goes to DV archive as its name server, it will try to get the IP address for replaytv.com, the central place where it goes for updates. Instead, DV archive spoofs the DNS name so that the Replay TV unit actually goes to DV archive running on your PC as its source of updates. DV archive proxies all those updates back to Replay TV Central so your Replay TV unit gets all the normal television guide data and stuff like that that it would normally get except when it hears the request 
for the software update, it doesn't proxy uh, that up to Replay TV Central. It basically sends back a message saying, hey, there's no software update, you're a-okay. And so that way your Replay TV stays at the proper software revision with its commercial advance fully enabled, which is a really sweet feature. Every time I'm watching a show and I see the commercial just bloop, skip over, it gives my heart a little pang of joy. That's all I'm going to say about PVRs today. There's lots and lots more to talk about on this subject. Uh, and if you want to hear more about it, maybe drop me an email and I'll think about talking some more about it. But that's a really cool solution.